0: The Plumley Pod, episode 54. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education, The Plumley Pod. Hello and welcome to The Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley. And I cannot believe that I am not sat on a beach right now. How outrageous. What on earth am I doing here? I should be on holiday. That's what teachers do. We're lazy. We have six weeks off every summer. We do nothing. We get slated for it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not one of those teachers, but even so, I'm still slightly surprised that I'm here talking to you. But of course, with the wonders of technology and scheduling and all kinds of things, I'm actually able to record this a week early, So I will be able to escape to the beach, maybe not the beach, but escape for a week's holiday whilst you're listening to this podcast. So I'm very, very happy. I must confess I'm recording this at the end of a very, very, very long academic year. So do forgive me for any obvious and silly mistakes. I can only apologize and suggest that I am awfully, awfully tired. When I finish this, it's my last commitment i then going to lie in a darkened room for about a week and sleep. It's very, very sad, but I am Saint-Tropez or Lanzagrotti or whatever. is not for me. I just want to sleep. My best holiday is going to be sleeping. So there you go. Spoken like a true teacher, a real teacher. That is my quest. It's my mission. And I cannot, much as I love my job and I genuinely love what I do. I really love what I do. I still cannot wait to have a week of sleep. Oh, it's going to be epic. I can't imagine what the next uh, episode of this podcast is going to sound like. All zen, maybe not. But I envisage a very, very different tone, a very, very different level of calmness from me when I come back. We'll see. Who knows? We'll see. Anyway, for once, I know when I do solo pods, I usually rant about the banksters, but I'm not going to talk about the banksters today. I promise. I'm just, do you know what? I'm not dignifying them with my energy or attention. I'm trying to wind down for the holidays and I need to be calm. What have I been doing, actually? Some of you don't know at all, and obviously the people I work with know this very well, but the people I don't work with who listen to this podcast, and by the way, I'm very grateful that you listen. I can't believe the kind of numbers I actually listen to this podcast. It surprises me to this very day, but thank you very much. Massive shout out to Ireland, who make up 16%. 16% of our listeners come from Ireland, 14% come from the United States, 49% from the UK, 3% from Australia, and 2% From Nazi Canada. Oops, sorry. 2% from Trudeau's Canada. Shout out to the Canadians listening to this. I'm amazed you're even allowed to. Maybe you're using VPNs or something. But anyway, fair play to you and well done, Canadians. So what am I really here to talk about apart from being so utterly wasted and desperate for a holiday? Well, I'm here because it's been the end of a very long academic year, as I said, and I'm actually a GCSE mathematics examiner and what that means is for people outside of the country is we have national examinations, examinations that every child age 16 takes, pretty much. More or less compulsory examinations, particularly if you go to an indoctrination center. Oops, they see i mean in school. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. It's all the same thing, don't you know? So, <laughs> so the indoctrination centers basically force you to do GCSEs. These exams the General Certificate of Secondary Education, they're actually marked independently. They are marked by independent professionals. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing. And I mark the mathematics one, the mathematics GCSE. I mark higher tier. I mark paper one. And very proud to do so. It was not easy. About 10 years ago, when I was recommended, first recommended to the exam board, the rules were you have to have a minimum of three years as a professional teacher. So it's not enough to have a maths degree. It's not enough to be a mathematics teacher. You have to be professionally qualified rather than... Some maths teachers who teach in private schools are actually not qualified mathematics teachers because they didn't take the postgraduate certificate of education, the PGCE, and many of them never gained qualified teacher status, QTS. To get QTS, you have to work in a state-maintained school, a state indoctrination center for a minimum of one year, and it's a pass-fail thing. So even when you're a fully qualified teacher, even if you have your degree and your PGCE, your postgraduate certificate in secondary or primary education, as appropriate, you can still fail. You can still not actually become a real teacher. And most people don't. The number of people taking a PGCE, i.e. the intention to become a teacher, secondary or primary, is relatively large. The number of people who make it is much smaller. Most people who take a PGCE do not finish. And of those who do finish, most of them never go on to gain QTS. So it's a massive machine and it eats people's hopes and dreams. And actually, you find that a lot of really decent people never end up becoming teachers, which is the real tragedy of our so-called education system. Anyway, I mark the GCSE maths exam papers, the exam papers for 16-year-olds. And every year, I become more and more horrified at the piss-poor standard. I'm sorry, there's no other word for it. It's abysmal. It's beyond abysmal. It's piss-poor. It's absolutely disgusting and I can't wait to expose just how bad things have got because uh, I got a lot of grief as um, somebody who promotes guerrilla education, gorilla ed. I get a lot of grief, I get a lot of jip, I get a lot of abuse because I get stuck-up, snotty people, adults who think that's really something, telling me that it's irresponsible, that professionals should teach children, yada, yada, yada. What this is, this is a massive exercise in projection. These are parents who've never even considered who might be the best people to educate their children. One of the two parents is usually a careerist. Maybe they work for Ernst & Young and earn 60 grand a year. Ooh, what do you do for 60 grand a year at Ernst & Young? Clean the toilets. No offense to toilet cleaners, but you're obviously not anything special if you're only earning 60 grand at a place like Ernst & Young, one of the top four economists in the world. And I can speak with with considerable experience on this topic. I know people who work on the top floor of Ernst Young and I know people who basically, well, they don't officially—they don't clean the bogs for 60 grand. Of course they don't, but they, they really think that actually the person who thinks that they're really brilliant and earns 60,000 pounds a year at Ernst Young is actually the person that we snigger about and basically call her the bog cleaner. And it's not because we're rude or elitist. It's just a recognition that you don't really know anything and you don't really know what you're doing at that level in a company of that size. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but why have you got children If you want to spend 60, 70, 80 hours a week at work as well as your husband, why have you got children then? Because you clearly don't want to spend time with them, do you? We've got this upside down in society. Children come first. It's the most difficult and exhilarating and wonderful challenge any man or woman can take on is having children of their own. And I salute each and every one of you that genuinely undertakes that vocation you can't call it a profession. It's not. You definitely don't get paid and you don't get paid enough to do that job. You do it. You're heroes. You're, you're the real life heroes, right? If you're doing it correctly. But so many of you are not. And it's, well, not you guys, but not the people listening to this, but the other people. It's so sad that the sheeple children are poorly. And many of them are very wealthy. You kind of have this image in your head that, oh, bad parents are poor. They have a low socioeconomic status. They're not very intelligent. Actually, it's not true. I think some of the most some of the most abused children in the whole of the United Kingdom come from very wealthy or semi-wealthy families. The wealthy families don't bring up their own. They have nannies and whatever. And the semi-wealthy families these days, they drop their kids off at their elite private school very early and pick them up very late and or make them bored. And you think that's okay. So some stranger is literally bringing up your children and you think that's all perfectly good. Well, I'm sorry. It's not perfectly good. It's dangerous. You're leaving your children with the worst kind of babysitters, quote-unquote, teachers, whatever. You could possibly imagine these are the woke, indoctrinated lot. Yeah, these people are very, very dangerous, and nobody wants to hear this message. Nobody will even... If I titled this podcast what it's really about, most of you wouldn't dare to listen. You wouldn't be listening now. Because if you listen to me, and if your brain starts making connections, dot connecting, let's say, you're going to have to take action. And most people are inherently lazy. I'm not saying you're bad. We're all lazy. I'm lazy. My dog's lazy. My husband's, we're all lazy. We're all inherently selfish, i.e. personal survival comes first. And we're also lazy because if I don't have to run away from the cheetah today, I'm going to lie here and beach, right? Why wouldn't we be? We're sort of designed in that way. But if you listen to what I've got to say, and if you think it holds any water, if it has any merit whatsoever, you're going to have to radically change how you live your life. And no one wants to hear that. It's why no one wants to hear the words of Jesus Christ because they'd have to get up off their ass and seriously change their uh, habits. I think Jesus probably put that rather better, didn't he? But you'll forgive me, I'm not the son of God by any stretch of the imagination. And well, I have to put up with my relatively weak skills, my talentlessness. I say, I do apologize for that. However, what I've got to talk to you today about really is they're your kids, not the state's. And I'm deeply concerned that the state is seriously coming after your children now, is making a, a very serious play for your children. And I talked about this extensively during the scandemic. If I came to your attention at all, I probably came to your attention during the scandemic, COVID 1984, or you've been referred to me by somebody who found me during the scandemic. There was a window of opportunity during the scam where they hadn't put all of us on the blacklist yet. Some of us weren't worthy. Some of us were, ah, we weren't even good enough domestic terrorists to make the sodding list. But during the scam demic, some of us got promoted, and well, here I am. So, well done for finding me. Thank you for finding me. And thank you so much for listening. I can't believe that you take time out of your busy schedules to listen to me, especially when you have children or grandchildren, because frankly, if you have children or grandchildren of your own, you have enough to do. But, You're doing the right thing because these creatures are seriously coming after your children. They did that during the scandemic. Look at how they treated your children. Your children. They were dropped off at the indoctrination centers and forced to wear a muzzle and were harassed all day if their muzzle slipped below their nose or if they weren't wearing a muzzle in the corridor or if they took their muzzle down for long enough to have two bites of their sandwich instead of one in in the canteen at, at lunch. What were you thinking? What were you thinking, you scumbags? and particularly the teachers, shame on you. Shame on you. If you allowed children to be abused because the government said in your care, and that's what wearing a muzzle is, it's denial of oxygen, it's dehumanization, it's slavery. Shame on you if you allowed that. Seriously, you have got some bloody hard questions to ask yourself. And my goodness, can you imagine what God is going to have to say to you when the time comes? I mean, I'm sure God's got plenty of words for me as it goes but at least I didn't do that. You do not hurt children. God's children are not for sale. God's children are not for sale. And that has just come straight out of The Sound of Freedom. If you haven't yet seen the movie The Sound of Freedom, then you're obviously one of the good guys who does not go to the cinema, like me. But I might know a dodgy guy. I might know a dodgy geezer or two. One of these computer geek types who might have acquired me a copy. I'm not anti-paying for entertainment. Very happy to pay for it. But when you can't even pay to watch something, and it's a very, very important piece that I get kind of peed off. I'm not going to sit in the cinema with a bunch of sheeple tards. Those gits would have thrown me out, chucked me on a box cart and sent me off to the real Auschwitz. Wouldn't they Wouldn't they? Given half a chance two, three years ago? Ah, yeah, screw you. Screw you. I'm not sitting in a cinema with you. Not now. Pigs. Filthy pigs. So I'm sorry, no. But anyway, I watched the movie The Sound of Freedom and it was extraordinary. And I say that hand on heart as both a professionally trained actress, as a woman, a teacher, a coach. But above all, as a truther. I can't believe how good it is. Like usually we watch mainstream normie movies and think, oh God, what a load of crap. Oh, that was, the, we could have done that of a lot better, yada, 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 right? But this is just, it's off the charts good. Now you're going to say to me, oh, Sarah, they've missed this, they've missed that. This isn't, guys, this film has been shot for sheeple. Right, they made this movie to wake the sheeple up, and you have to respect the effort behind that and the intention behind that. It was shot on a shoestring, a very, very cheap budget compared with most Hollywood movies. But the acting, the directing is absolutely remarkable. The lead actor, I'm going to butcher his name, Jim Carviziel. I'm so sorry, Jim, I can't pronounce your surname, so ignorant. But he played Christ, I think, in The Passion of the Christ that Mel Gibson directed. Quite some years ago, I watched that. Also, coincidentally, even though I don't really watch movies, I happen to have watched that. This lead actor, he plays Tim Tim Ballard in, in the movie The Sound of Freedom. He is extraordinary. He's, I had on heart the best actor I've ever seen. I say that as a fellow professional. You know, I take my hat off to him. It's an extraordinary performance. You can't take your eyes off him. You cannot take your eyes off this guy. He's so generous. He. Puts his attention on the other actor. He puts his attention on the other person whilst acting. And it sounds like the easiest thing in the world to do, and it's so hard. The camera's on you. The audience is looking at you. You're speaking the lines. You're in the costume. It's all about you. And of course it's not. True acting has got nothing to do with you. Love the art in thyself, not thyself in the art. Love the art in thyself, not thyself in the art. It's the classic actor-actress trap. You start loving yourself. You start... Believing that you are the art, no, it's the art in you. It's, it's God's work through you. It's a classic trap. It's a classic trap of the performance artist. But he does not, does not fall into that at all. In fact, he's the opposite. He's the antithesis. He's he's almost Christ-like in this role. It's unbelievably good, and I unreservedly recommend it. And goodness me, if I ever recommend a normie film to you guys ever again, have me shot. Like I don't do that. It's not. It's not what I'm here for. I'm not into entertainment or sheeple tarded stuff but this is so good. The director, the director of photography. By the way, the DP, the DP, the director of photography, that's actually a big deal. Everyone knows the lead actor. Everyone knows the director, but most people don't talk about the DP. If the director of photography on your television show or your film isn't the dog's uh, doodars, you're stuffed, you're finished. Editors are equally important, actually. Editors are not talked about enough either. But directors of photography, most of you would describe the work of the director actually, you'd say, it's the director. Well, the person doing the work that you think is done by the director is actually done by the director of photography, the director of filming. So there's a really big relationship between a director who manages the actors chiefly, and a director of photography who manages the whole shot, the whole picture, the whole moving pictures. Big deal. Anyway, I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce their names or even claim I know who they are, but they have done a magnificent job on this child trafficking movie called The Sound of Freedom, which I unreservedly recommend. You should watch it immediately watch it twice and take notes. It's very, very good. Yes, okay, I do have a criticism of it. It's a very obvious criticism and I'm sure you've already made this for yourself, so I won't belabor it. But basically, it doesn't touch on the elite. It doesn't touch on elite pedophile rings. And as we all know, that's where the lion's share of child trafficking goes. It's not individuals, it's not rich individuals, it's not seedy individuals, it's not some DJ, it's not some guy in a flasher map. It's not some bloke at your kid's peewee club, although it can be all of those things. It's not some guy at your kid's peewee club. It can be those things, but that's not the big deal. That's not the big problem here, guys. The big problem, it's institutionalized. And this film doesn't touch on that. It makes out that it's like seedy criminals from Colombia or wherever. It really doesn't do its job in that regard. But please don't be angry with it for not doing that because how can you sell something to the sheeple? How can you sell something like this to the sheeple? Come on, guys. It's just not that easy, you know? It's just not that easy. It really, really isn't. So anyway, I shall leave that there. Judge for yourself. Go watch it. I do recommend it. And don't be too hard on them because letting people know that child trafficking is a thing and even what child trafficking really is. People use this term child trafficking and I don't think they think about what's going on. It's like when people talk about gay people right? When people talk about two gays, two male gays, they, they go as opposed to two lesbians, female, but obviously not to say that because you're a bigot these days, aren't you? Because there aren't gen, there aren't two genders, are there? No, 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 of course not. Which is why I call you ladies and gentlemen and people have done for hundreds for thousands plus years. If you're two gays, people have this image in their head that it's two very smartly dressed, very well-groomed guys in Armani suits holding hands, smiling at each other, walking down the street. Well, that's not really what it's about. Without putting too fine a point on it, this is going to be so bad. Lord Plumley. if you're listening, you need to turn off now because I'm going to get in such trouble for this. But I can't help it. The truth is the truth, even when you're my husband, Lord Plum. And I'm very sorry about this. But Gaze is basically a man sticking his pee-pee in another man's poo-poo. Now, I learned that off one of my favorite ever people, a listener of this show, a member of Guerrilla Education. I won't name him, but he'll let you know who he is if he wishes to. He told me, Sarah, this is some guy who thinks it's right, decent, normal, and proper to stick his pee-pee in another man's poo-poo. He has a five-year-old daughter, so that's why he has this terminology that I'd long forgotten. And I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. I fell off my stool laughing. I thought it was so funny. And then I realized how gross it was (laughs) and that it wasn't funny at all. He describes that beautifully, sticking my pee-pee in another man's poo-poo. I mean, is the anus a sexual organ? All right, chill out. Stop calling me a bigot. I'm just asking. Did somebody in your biology class 20 years ago, 30 years ago, tell you that the anus was a sexual organ? If they did, I don't recall that lesson. And perhaps your teacher was a pedo. Just saying. Anyway, my central point being that when I say gay, we generally have this lovely image of two very smartly groomed men, bit like Douglas Murray-esque, very expensive suits, handsome, smiling, well-groomed, holding hands, but that's not really the whole story. That's not really the whole. When we say these things, and, and, and child trafficking is a phrase that kind of masks what it's really about it's rape of children, the sexual abuse, the rape of children. Child trafficking sounds very benign by comparison, doesn't it? And I could use worse words to describe it as well, much. I won't, because it's Sunday morning and you don't deserve to have to hear that. But do think about it. Do think about these terms, gay, child trafficking. Hang on a minute. What's behind that? What are the images? Because the images these seemingly benign terms conjure are not the same as the images that we ought to be thinking about when these terms are raised. Anyway, I have something a little bit lighter for you than child trafficking now to move on to this morning. However, it's not very much lighter. This podcast is inspired by a wonderful book called Hold On To Your Kids. Hold on to your kids by Dr. Gordon Neufeld and Gabor Mate, two children's psychologists, doctors, wonderful, wonderful experts in their field. They're very blue pilled, I would say. They're very normie. These doctors are super, super mainstream, super, super credible in ways that I just thought I'm not. I mean, I'm just going to tell it like it is and I don't care who it offends and who it triggers. These gentlemen, I don't even think they're aware of like, concepts such as false flag terrorism. And if they are, they certainly don't talk about it in public. So, on that front, they're kind of sort of normie, if you will allow me to be so rude about two gentlemen's work. But whilst this isn't this presentation, this podcast is not about child trafficking, this is about stealing your children in another way. Your children can be stolen from you psychologically. Children can leave you, their parents, their loving, caring parents, psychologically. I know what a horrible, horrible thing to say, but it's real. You can read about it with mainstream normie, doctors, psychologists, etc. This stuff is real. This stuff is real. So rather than having somebody physically remove your child, like the social work or some evil child trafficker, hmm, did I say or? I better leave that there, hadn't I? Could the state be for Better also leave that one there. So oversee your thoughts on that front. But anyway, even worse, your children can leave you psychologically. I'm just going to dig into that a little bit because this cannot happen to you. If you are taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to me and to listen to any of my content, God bless you. You're the real You're the real people now. You're the real truth of this now. And we've got to support you in every way that we can, especially those of us who don't have children. We must help you. We must support you. We must defend you. With every breath we have, every sinew, every ounce of energy we have left, we have to protect you to help you to protect your kids from these evil ones, from the state. The state, not some greasy, greasy, I don't know what to call them, greasy creatures from Colombia, as is depicted in the movie The Sound of Freedom. It's not the greasy creeps in the Colombian jungle that we need to be afraid of. The boogeyman is rather close, or we'd call it the bogeyman, but they call it the boogeyman in the states and other parts of Europe. We call it the bogeyman. The bogeyman is much, much closer to home. Anyway, allow me to quote a little bit from the great book, which I strongly recommend if you're a teacher a tutor a coach a mother a father a grandpa a grandma you must read you must read hold on to your kids a vital piece a seminal piece of work in the field of child psychology and parenthood and it has huge implications for educationists as well it says here for many children today peers have virtually replaced parents peers have virtually replaced parents rather than taking values from their families it is friends and classmates who shape their identity and codes of behavior but this situation is far from natural and can be dangerous. It undermines family cohesion, interferes with healthy development, and fosters a hostile and sexualized youth culture. Children end up becoming conformist, anxious, and alienated. That's from the book Hold On To Your Kids by Dr. Gordon Neufeld and Gabor Maté. That's not a Plumly original. That's not coming straight out of Sarah Plumley's gob into your ear hole on a Sunday morning. That's two real people now, real doctors, real child psychologists. Not that I'm not a real teacher, I am. But my point being that I wouldn't describe either of these blokes as awake in any way, not really. And yet, listen to that. Children end up becoming conformist, anxious, and alienated. That is the result of this youth culture, which is dangerous. And whilst it might be normal, it is certainly not natural. The difference between normal and natural is a very, very important theme. Speaking of which, quote, what is normal in the sense of conforming to a norm is not necessarily the same as natural or healthy, Gordon Neufeld. Now then, we're plugged this, oh, it's normal, 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 like fear, 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 safe and effective, safe and effective, normal, 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 normal. How many times have you heard the freaks and the creatures talk about the new normal? The post covid 1984 normal. The, well, my normal's the same, bitches. My normal hasn't changed, you freaks. Yours might have with your rubber gloves and your freaky muzzles and your visors and your creepy, creepy behavior. But it hasn't changed my behavior. And nor will I ever let it. But this is a really central theme. This is good for you guys because I'm sure you get a lot of grief, especially if yours was the only kid not wearing a muzzle in school. God bless you and them if they... Oh, I don't know how you left the kid in there, but... If they did go to school, if they had to, in inverted commas, for some reason, and they were the one that didn't wear a muzzle, God bless them and God bless you. But anyway, what is normal in the sense of conforming to a norm is not necessarily the same as natural or healthy. The point being that normal is not normal. Normal isn't necessarily natural and or healthy. What's natural and healthy is not necessarily what is classed as normal. And I think that's the message of the day. I think that's a message of the month or the week or the year. I think that's crucial. What is normal in the sense of conforming to a norm is not necessarily the same as natural or healthy. Prior to World War II, adult orientation was the norm. Now, what's adult orientation? Adult orientation is when young people, children, use adults as their compass points, as their guides, as their indicators, their role models of how to behave in society and how to be and how to grow and how to mature. They look up to older people than them and think, yeah, that's a pretty good guy. That's a pretty good girl. I'm going to copy them. They seem like good people to imitate. Prior to World War II, adult orientation was the norm. It was usual for children, natural and healthy kind of norm, not the other kind of norm, the new normal. The old normal was that children were oriented towards adults. And their primary attachment, this is crucial, this is about emotional attachment, their primary attachment was to their parents. If their parents said do this, but the government said do that, they would do this because their parents mattered far more to them than even a policeman officer. Ha ha ha. Sorry, cops. We call you... The PC thing drove you mad, so you're all policeman officers now. Don't take it personally. It's just a, an anti-PC thing that I do. Anti-political correctness thing that I have. Primary attachment used to be to parents. These days, we have the, perhaps a lion's share of attachments. Primary attachments, the crucial attachment, emotional attachment is to peers. Hoodies, scumbags, liars, cheats, dopes and thieves, or the uh, insalubrious ones, kind of creeps that you wouldn't invite around to have tea. Hmm, shall we invite my child's friend around for tea? Are they an entirely appropriate child? Are they an entirely appropriate person for your son or daughter to be hanging out with? I suspect not. And just because your son or daughter hangs out with somebody that you don't approve of, well, it exposes them to risk. There is a danger there, but it's not necessarily the end of the world. It's not necessarily terminal as long as their primary attachment is to you, as long as they're going to listen to you more than they're going to listen to them. But the problem is, all parents, all parents think that they are their child's primary attachment. You all think, yeah, oh, don't you, don't you, don't you look sideways at my radio now. Don't you be doing that? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You parents, you think your children are yours. Ah, Big mistake. Big mistake. If your children are not closest to you, if you are not your child's primary attachment, they're going to imitate the hoodies, the gangsters, the druggies, the delinquents, the LGBT freaks, right? That's who they're going to imitate. They're not going to imitate you. And it's being set up. It's deliberate. It's a deliberate move by the state or aspects of the deep state to steal your children from you psychologically once they've got them psychologically, physically, they'll willingly give up their freedom. Just check it out. Check out the queues at the jabatoires during the pandemic of young people. Look at those young people, not even at any risk from catching the flu and dying of the freaking flu, queuing up outside the jabatoire, getting a jab cab to the hospital because they got really sick after taking the clot shot. Yeah, this is the youth culture. This is children who've already left you, psychologically left you. And you don't, think it's, you don't think it's going to happen to you. You're like, I'm awake. My children love me. My, yeah, you are awake and I'm sure your children do love you. But if you're not their primary attachment, and by the way, you wouldn't know. If you were not their primary attachment, you wouldn't necessarily know it. Many of you go on parenting courses because you think the problem is your parenting skills. The problem's not your parenting skills. The problem is your child is primarily attached to somebody else. Usually a peer. Yeah, one of their dickhead mates. And I know that's a horribly coarse phrase, but it makes a really good point, doesn't it? Do you want your child to be primarily concerned with their dickhead mate number one? Or do you want them to be primarily concerned with you? Because if you're a real parent, that's not even a question, is it? And did you know that indigenous peoples, it's probably racist to use that term these days, and if it's not, it'll be racist soon. But anyway, indigenous peoples do not have a teen culture, a youth culture. They do not have peer-oriented children. All of the children in indigenous cultures all over the world, wherever they can be found, have adult-oriented children. They have children who orient themselves, who naturally look up to and try to imitate good adult role models. Here's another quote from Hold On To Your Kids. Essential to any culture are its customs, its music, its dress, its celebrations, its stories. The music children listen to bears very little resemblance to the music of their grandparents. The way they look is dictated by the way other children look, rather than by the parents' cultural heritage. Their birthday parties and rites of passage are influenced by the practices of other children around them, not by the customs of their parents before them. If all that seems normal to us, there's that word again, normal to us, is only due to our own peer orientation, our own indoctrination, if you will. The existence of a youth culture, separate and distinct from that of adults, dates back only 50 years or so. Although half a century is a relatively short time in the history of humankind, in the life of an individual person it constitutes a whole era. Most readers of this book will already have been raised in a society where the transmission of culture is horizontal rather than vertical. In each new generation this process, potentially corrosive to civilized society, gains new power and velocity. Even in the 22 years between my first and fifth child, it seems that parents have lost ground. Now a couple of things to dig into there. The idea that Children are no longer imitating their parents, they're oriented by their peers rather than adults is loud and proud. The idea that children dress like other children rather than like their parents. It's almost like they aspire to be like the other kids rather than aspire to be like their parents and their grandparents and those that have gone before them. That's crucial. That's the beginning, middle, and end of it. That's a really great way. It's called social engineering, if you, if you want to just stick a easy, ready- to- use label on it, right there, bang. But anyway, The idea that this is only been going on for about fifty years—it's post World War II—and it's completely dangerous. The vertical transmission of culture, rather than horizontal, means if you can imagine vertical, that's like grandparents handing on to parents, handing on to children. That's a virtual, sorry, (laughs) that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? The problem is virtual. We'll come to that shortly. That is a vertical transmission of culture. Grandparents down to parents, down to children. You can see that. You can imagine that in your minds A vertical transmission of culture. Horizontal transmission of culture is the blind leading the blind. It's teens leading teens. It's preteens leading preteens. It's seven-year-olds leading seven-year-olds. Has anyone read Lord of the Flies? I mean, William Goldberg's Lord of the Flies. Like, come on. Come on. Like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you see that that's totally crazy, bent and bloody dangerous. To me, it's because I work with this and I've worked in the system with children and I've worked out of the system with children. William Golding, I just want to check the, the name of that author, Lord of the Flies, William Golding. Has anyone actually read it? 1954, Nobel Prize winning. Yeah, it's probably a set text at your school, but you didn't read it, right? Whatever. But it's not okay because this is the problem. You're receiving the transmission of quote unquote culture horizontally from teens and preteens and other hoodies and degenerates rather than from great grandparents, grandparents, parents, et cetera. Dangerous. Anyway, what else did I want to say about that? Other than it's dangerous and that your children need to look to you before their peers, it should be obvious. You don't want your children doing what their dumb mates do. You want your children copying and imitating you. And you all think that they do and that they will. Well how come I got loads of text messages, DMs, Direct messages during this pandemic of parents in floods of tears because their teenager had gone and taken the clot shot behind their back. Just let that sink in for a minute. Their teen. So they're, these are awake people because I don't work with sheeple. You know, you know, my policy on sheeple can't be asked. No, I'm not sorry. They'll laugh. I'm not sorry. I'm not working with, for them. I've got enough to do. You know, the, the people who are awake and who are saving their children and working really hard to educate them properly and bring them up properly and decently. They need all the help they can get because everything in our culture, everything all around you is designed to make your children degenerate, to leave you psychologically and be degenerate scumbags. Everything is designed that way. Children's culture, children, this horizontal transmission of quote unquote culture. It's disgusting, it's despicable, it's degenerate and everything around you is designed to take your kids away from you, including those freaking computer games. I'll be back on that in a bit. But this is the danger, right? Your kids are being stolen from you psychologically. And I genuinely had parents during it, was heartbreaking, actually. Heartbreaking. I had parents during the scandemic who were, in some ways, more awake than me. I know that sounds crazy, but parents who've been awake a very long time, very focused. Their children had never shown any interest in the jab. Their children used to know the terminology like jabatoir and jabtards, and you know, they had all the lingo. They never showed any interest in having it. They knew that it was going to be dangerous to their bodies and potentially deadly, and they went and took it. Why did they take it? Because their dickhead mates took it. And I'm sorry. I know it's a Sunday morning, and I know that apparently God doesn't like swears. Well, I think God might forgive me because I'm not sure Jesus never did swears. You know that turning over the tables in the temple business, the whip that he fashioned, the whip? Yeah, it says that, that he fashioned out of hand, and he lashed those gits out of the temple the money changers, what I would call the banksters. Yeah, come on. Do you think he said nicey-nicey words as he was whipping them with the, the lashy fashion by hand? I don't think so. I'm willing to take that risk anyway. I'm sure God's got plenty of words for me <laughs> when the time comes. And I'm not nervous about that, I must admit. But even so, I think I'll be forgiven for the odd phrase like dickhead mates if it saves your children. If it saves your children. like These kids taking clot shot because their dickhead mates did. What an absolute joke. Anyway, this is going to take a slightly darker turn more towards the sound of freedom for a moment. So if you're feeling particularly, I don't normally do this, I don't coddle my audience, but if you are feeling particularly vulnerable today, you might want to check out now and come back to me in a day or two's time when you're feeling a bit stronger because this is nasty and I don't enjoy sharing this information with you. I share it because I believe now that I'm in possession of this information, I'm duty bound to share it with everybody who has a, an interest and a care for children. So, continuing on from the book Hold On To Your Kids, it says, according to a large international study headed by the British child psychiatrist Sir Michael Rutter and criminologist David Smith, a children's culture first emerged after the Second World War and is one of the most dramatic and ominous social phenomena of the 20th century. They don't tell you that, do they? Have you heard any panorama programs about the danger of a youth culture? and how it only came about after World War II. No, me neither. I must have missed those programs too. Continuing on. This study, which included leading scholars from 16 countries, let me say that again. This study, which included leading scholars from 16 countries, linked the escalation of antisocial behavior to the breakdown of the vertical transmission of mainstream culture. Accompanying the rise in a children's culture, distinct and separate from the mainstream culture, were increases in youth crime, violence, bullying and delinquency and I'm sorry to say it gets worse. Quote, for far too many children today peers have replaced parents in creating the core of their personalities. Peers have replaced parents in creating the core of their personalities and you are being gaslit, you are being hoodwinked into thinking it's normal. In fact they always say it's normal, they never say it's natural have you noticed. They never say oh it's natural, it's healthy, healthy development. Healthy child development means playing on Minecraft for three hours a day. Bullshit. Yeah, they might say it's normal. Oh, it's normal for children to play on computer games three hours a day. Yeah, they might say normal, but they won't say natural or healthy because even the most corrupt evil ones believe in karma. They have to tell you, otherwise it comes back on them. So, primary attachment to peers or parents. Obviously, your primary attachment of a child must be to parents, not peers. Why? Because adults are the ones who matter most. What is missing in those peer relationships is going to have the most profound impact. Quoting, absolutely missing, absolutely missing in peer relationships are unconditional love and acceptance, the desire to nurture, the ability to extend oneself for the sake of the other, the willingness to sacrifice for the growth and development of the other. When we compare peer relationships with parent relationships for what is missing, i.e., this is me speaking out that which is not there, continuing to quote what is missing, parents come out looking like saints. The results spell disaster for many children. Peer relationships can never, never compete with parental ones, never. Because the unconditional love, the willingness to sacrifice, the maturity, children's brains are literally not properly attached to their bodies. And in some cases, especially with young men, until the age of about 25, that's physical, that's physiological let alone the psychology around that. You want some goon in a hoodie bringing up your son, do you? Your daughter? I don't think so. I don't think so. Anyway, the nasty bit. Suicide rates have increased fourfold in the 10 to 14 years range in the last 50 years. I had to check that because I thought I'd misread it. I read this several times. Suicide rates have increased fourfold. Okay, four times, fourfold, I get it. But in the 10 to 14 years, 10 to 14-year-olds committing suicide? Are you joking? What? 10 to, a 10-year-old? What? 10 to 14-year-old. That, that data is from the last 50 years and it's from the United States of America. Gordon Neufeld. The key trigger for the great majority was how they were being treated by their peers, not their parents. Yeah. Child suicide, horrific topic that is, and I hate to, have to cover it, but I feel it's my duty. I feel obligated to do so. Child suicide. The trigger's not their parents almost never. It's their peers. It's the behavior of their so-called friends, people their own age. Oh, you have to take your children to school so they get socialized. They've got to be normal. Yeah, normal and dead instead of natural and healthy. Yeah, right. Of course they would bloody say that. Wake up. Stop sending your kids to these bloody indoctrination centers. That's where they spend the lion's share of their time with the peers. They don't spend that much time hanging out on street corners with their peers. There's not enough daylight in the winter. They spend more time hanging out with their dumbass peers in schools, indoctrination centres that you call schools, than they do in any other setting. That's where this is happening. And it's sick. No society, no culture is immune. I'm continuing now to quote from Hold On to Your Kids. In Japan, for instance, traditional values passed on by elders have succumbed to westernisation and the rise of a youth culture. That country was almost free of delinquency and school problems amongst its children until very recently, but now experiences the most undesirable products of peer orientation, including lawlessness, childhood suicide, and that increasing school dropout rate. Harper's Magazine recently published a selection of suicide notes left by Japanese children. Most of them gave intolerable bullying by peers, peers as the reason for their decision to take their own lives. Yeah. So don't let anybody ever tell you that, oh, your kids won't be properly socialized or normal if they don't get to school. That's where it's happening. At least they won't end up bloody dead by suicide because of their dickhead mates. And again, I do apologize to parents and grandparents. Listen to this later, but it's, this is deeply, deeply personal. As a professional educator, sports coach, and a whole bunch of other titles where I've extensively worked with children, and young people in various professional capacities. This cuts deep because I personally know of one young person suicided, actually not suicided, who who took her own life, I should say. Sorry, suicided has a different context in these circles. But tragically, an old teen, an elder teen, took her own life. And I also know of a mid-teen who attempted. And that's just in my tiny, infinitesimally small teaching career that these things took place absolutely horrific, absolutely horrific. Continuing on from the wonderful book, Hold On To Your Kids, fitting in with the immature expectations of the peer group is not how the young grow to be independent, self-respecting adults. By weakening the natural lines of attachment and responsibility, peer orientation undermines healthy development. Yeah, kids hanging out with other kids undermines healthy natural development. Exactly. All this crap about, oh, your kids have got to go to school. Oh, they won't be sexual. They won't be normal. Bullshit. 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 The opposite is true. The opposite is true. And I'm passionate about this because I get attacked frequently on this front. And it's completely baseless. The, The people who are attacking me are those who are too cowardly to admit that they've never even considered what's best for their children in terms of education. Often one or two of the parents have a career of some kind. The career is so crap, by the way, that both parents have to work. So neither of these parents ever have a career that can afford one parent to stay at home. That's how good the careers of these quote-unquote parents are. They're bullshit, but they don't want to give up their nice car. They don't want to give up their second skiing holiday of the year. They don't want to give up their holiday home in Toulouse. They're not that bothered about their child's life, their child's psychology. They never even considered what's sending them to a State indoctrination center will do to them psychologically disgusting. And if you're from a very, very poor family where you earn minimum wage, you and your husband earn minimum wage, and you're doing your best, don't feel bad. We have to make some changes and we've got to figure this out to help you get your kids rescued. But don't feel bad. The lion's share of the people who could home educate choose not to because they think their career is really great. And I'm not having to go at people from tough economic backgrounds. I was born in a council flat. Okay. I'm from a council estate myself had a very, very difficult upbringing. Single-parent family in the late 80s, early 90s, when it was quite unusual to be from a single-parent family. No money. My father was a dustbin man. He left. My mother was a nursery nurse. She stayed but didn't do very much nursery nursing. Certainly nothing lucrative whilst we were children. So please don't feel bad. This is not about finances. I'm just observing that an awful lot of people who attack me happen to be people who think that they have a good career. But their career is the kind that's so crap that both them and their wife or them and their husband have to work. <laughs> if your career is that good, what, what, one career would be enough to raise a family. Do you remember, you could work in a factory in the 1950s. You could be a factory worker. and as long as you showed up on time and did your job, you could actually afford a, a wife and several children. And the wife didn't have to work. <laughs> Obviously, you're programmed to not remember that. But I think I've made my point about these fake careerists. Anyway, so continuing on from Hold On To Your Kids, Children may know what they want, but it is dangerous to assume that they know what they need. To the peer-oriented child, it seems only natural to prefer contact with friends to closeness to family. To be with them as much as possible, to be as much like them as possible, a child does not know best. Parenting that takes its cues from the child's preferences can get you retired long before the job is done. To nurture our children, we must reclaim them and take charge of providing for their attachment needs. Hear, hear. Our children must be attached to us emotionally until they are capable of standing on their own two feet, able to think for themselves and to determine their own direction. Hear, hear. Far from being qualified to orient anyone else, children are not even capable of self-orienting in any realistic sense of that word. Our children's peers are not the ones we want them to depend on. They are not the ones to give our children a sense of themselves, to point out right from wrong, to distinguish fact from fantasy, to identify what works and what doesn't, and to direct them as to where to go and how to get there. So what I'm talking about here, and it sounds like I'm just having a go about foolish friends and dickhead mates, I'm not. The situation is dangerous because you parents and grandparents are not just competing with your children's peers for attention and attachment. You are competing with a whole bunch of nefarious and dangerous organizations headed by adults or so-called adults. Here's one of them. campaign. Stand up for trans kids. Yeah, the trans cultists are trying to take your children. And when I say, like, what, steal them from your house? No, they don't need to. They just talk to them on social media. They groom them. They advise your children on social media how to be trans. And uh, we're your family now. Don't worry if your family don't understand you. They don't have your best interests at heart. We're your family now. I am reading and researching this very topic right now. It is disgusting. And I I don't want to go off on a tangent. I'll save this for next week. But um, on that subject, rescuing your children or protecting, let's say protecting your children from the trans cultists. I'm doing a lecture on that. I'm giving a lecture on Tuesday, the 25th of July. That's Tuesday, the 25th of July at 8 p.m. It's a public lecture via Zoom. Everyone's invited. It's completely free. I've done a huge pile of research and will continue to do so for the next week or two. I've been reading Abigail Schreier's Irreversible Damage. I've been looking at the work of Posey Parker. Is it Billie Jean King? Billy? oh, uh, Billy Jake. Oh my goodness. I we'll call her Posey Parker. I always get that one. I mix her up with Billie Jean King, which is what I'm supposed to do, isn't it? A, anyway, Posey Parker. And do you remember in the 80s where people used to get basically programmed by a cult and they ended up in a cult and then parents used to have to pay for people to go and kidnap their adult children out of these cults and then they had to deprogram them from like the Moonies or whatever. This stuff is real. Well, in the United States, according to Posey Parker, we're actually using protocols of cult deprogramming to help children who've fallen into the trans community, i.e. the trans cult. So I'll be delivering that information, that vital information, Tuesday, the 25th of July at 8pm. Do not miss it. I've worked really hard on it. And the people who've inspired me and given me the information are top quality people. So do be there. Anyway, your children, it's not just about your children being stolen by some creep from their class. They're now being stolen by the trans cultists. They're being stolen by the Just Stop Oil freaks, the Just Stop Oil. How ignorant and retarded are the Just Stop Oil? Let's not even go there. So I'm talking about, so you've got the the trans cultists, then you've got the climate cultists, then you've got BLM, Black Lives Matter. Oh, for goodness sake. George Soros-funded Marxist organization, scumbags. Anti-fascist action. Antifa. Isn't it amazing that that flag, that logo was also used in 1930s Germany? Isn't that extraordinary? Anyway, so you've got the trans cultists, the climate cultists, the race cultists, the BLMers, and the anti-fascist, the fascist anti-fascist cult trying to suck. These are not children. This is you, adults, competing with other adult organizations Then you've got the gaming cult. And I get loads of shit for talking about this and I will never shut up about this. There is nothing your kids will learn on a fucking computer game that they can't learn in the real world. I think that's the first time I've F-bombed on my own podcast ever. And I apologize not for that. I apologize not. Gaming is bullshit. It's bullshit. There is nothing that you can learn on a computer game that you can't learn in the real world that isn't better for you, healthier, natural. Might not be normal but it's certainly natural and healthy. Computer gaming is dangerous. It's awful. It is sucking your child's life away. Sucking their life away. And you're talking to somebody who's completed Sight the Hedgehog and Ultimate Soccer Manager many times. It's awful. Get your kids away from this garbage. Computer games. Ah, they learn hand-eye coordination. Tennis. (laughs) Football. Cricket. Shut up. Hand-eye. Fine mental skills. What, like playing the violin? Shut up. Just shut up. Game cult. Computer games came out, what, in the 1990s? Mass-produced anyway. Available on the mass market so scumbags like me from the council house could afford them. About the 1990s. Absolute shite. Stealing your children from you and stealing their life. I mean it, stealing their life. Because all of the time, they're sat on those computer screens, those telly screens that George Orwell warned you about. They're not learning real skills in the real world with real people. Oh, they talk to people on their headsets while playing their made-up virtual bullshit games. Yeah, I know. I'm not stupid. I might just be a boring maths teacher, but I'm not bloody stupid. You think they're socialising. Well, yeah, who are they socialising with? Sometimes groomers and pedos who are pretending to be kids, and other times they're socializing with other kids. And we've just talked about how dangerous socializing with other children is. Stupid. And whilst they're playing these sodding computer games, guess what they're not doing? They're not learning how to play a beautiful musical instrument. They're not learning the harp or the violin or the viola or the cello, the flute, the saxophone, the clarinet, the bassoon. They're not learning a trumpet, a trombone. I'm going to run out of things to to quote there, but... I'm just looking at a picture now of the Halle Orchestra. actually it might be the London Philharmonic. Yes, I think it's Philharmonic, the French horn. You know, instead of learning all of these things and potentially having life-changing experiences of playing in front of thousands or hundreds of people in an orchestra situation, instead of that, they're sat at home monging out on mindless craft, mindless craft. That's what they're doing when they should be learning how to play a beautiful musical instrument, or maybe they'd be on a football referees course and learn how to referee football matches and like I did, and go to Russia and Lithuania and Sweden and Texas, go flying all over the world and being paid to do so to officiate football matches. Maybe there'd be Olympic taekwondo champions or even just regional taekwondo champions, learning about discipline, respect, humility, all those great things that real martial arts teach our children and teach us. Instead of martial arts, they're playing on stupid, what was that ultimate fighter? What's that stupid computer game with the fighting? Oh, I forget now, whatever, whatever, stupid game. Instead of having some character fighting and oh yeah, look at me, my freaking dead strong thumbs. How about actually learning how to fight? And then the ballet, yeah, the Royal National Ballet or, or whoever, the ballet, the opera, beautiful. All these beautiful skills that your children are never going to have because they won't invest enough time. And they won't invest enough time in it because they're too bloody busy playing on sodding computer games. And if it's not computer games, stop sniggering, especially parents of women, parents of young girls, because they're doing the same on social media, anti-social bloody media, social media, ditto computer games. Anyway, the idea of peer attachment, children attaching to other children, it's an easy win for the state, it's an easy win for the state cultists, because if you control perception, if you control perception, you control reality. Stuffing children into the sausage machine, the sausage factory that is the indoctrination centers that you call schools. And I refuse to call schools. I call them what they are indoctrination centers. They chuck in these individual, creative, exciting, wonderful, magnificent children. They stuff them in the top of these school buildings and they spew out worms, maggots, worms, maggots. That's what they're spewing out. I know because I mark their bloody exam papers. I've just marked 16,231. Yeah, okay, I'm a maths geek, sorry. 16,231 GCSE maths exam questions. Just finished marking those a few days ago, right? Absolute tripe. It's the easiest paper I've ever seen. I have exam papers for mathematics GCSE. Used to be called O-level, ordinary level, the O-level mathematics. I've got papers going back to 1940. I haven't got all of them, but I've got quite a few. And by the way, if you've got some, scan them and send them to me, please. I, I love collecting them. I can prove that this is the easiest exam ever. And I can also prove you've got the stupidest children ever. How is that possible? It's called the information age, isn't it? I actually think it's called the dumb age, the freaking dumbass lazy twat age. Oh my goodness, I've said twat now twice. I'm not sorry. I am so angry about this and you should be too. We have the most information available. It's at your children's fingertips on their dumb phones. Sorry, smartphones, right? All of human knowledge, well, not all of it, most of human knowledge is at their fingertips. And these are the stupidest children ever. Can't even do 16 times three with pen and paper. Just unbelievably stupid, lazy, arrogant, a whole lot. And this is how it's done. This is how it's done. That's why they send to schools to make them all the same. Not to make them the best they can be, to make them all the same. On that front, I'm doing a free course called Rescue Your Children, very, very close to my heart, and I promise to keep the swears to a minimum, probably. Rescue Your Children, I teach this course two or three times a year. It's completely free of charge. It's for everybody but no sheeple. If sheeple turn up, I will just fire their asses. Like, I'm very impatient. I used to be a football referee, so I can handle a few sheeple. If I can handle 22 drunken, drugged-up goons on a Sunday morning, I can certainly handle any sheeple tards that show up. So this is not for the sheeple. It's for decent people who think there's something wrong with the education system. Ah, you think? You think? Anyway, it'll be available the 3rd, 4th and 5th of August. That's Thursday, the 3rd of August, Friday, the 4th of August and Saturday, the 5th of August, 3rd, 4th, 5th of August at 8 p.m. It's a three-night course. So it's not the same course repeated three times. It's a three-night course the state of state education, the state of home education, the solution, guerrilla education. And for free, I'll be taking you through how to get your kids out of the state system, protect them, and best of all, to provide them with the education of their and your dreams. So I'll be teaching that 3rd, 4th, 5th of August. It's completely free. I do it because I believe in it. I put my money where my mouth is. Yeah, I can't afford to not earn money. I have to pay bills just like you. I've got a really greedy Labrador as well as it goes. He eats rather a lot of stuff. So I have to pay bills, but I do this for you because I believe in it. I really believe in what I do and you've got to put your money where your mouth is in this world. And so I do. So I'll be doing that 3rd, 4th, 5th of August, rescue your children. Now then, I'm not going to keep you very much longer because I I appreciate you You are super, super busy. And of course, you're going to be coming to rescue your children where I will go deep on all of these topics. And crucially, I'm not just going to fear porn you like all the other fake truthers. I'm not just going to give you fear porn. I'm going to teach you what to do about it, how to counteract it, how to completely circumvent it. All right, that's my job. That's my pledge to you. However, before I leave you, this is something that struck me from my recent reading on child psychology. Again, from the great book, Hold On To Your Kids. The very concept of friendship is meaningless when applied to immature people. Oh yeah, it wasn't me that wrote that. I wish. I've been, I've been saying it for years. The very concept of friendship is meaningless when applied to immature people. So when I say, how many friends have you still got from school? And you say, none, one, two. Oh, I've got a few. Yeah, of course you have. Bullshit. No, you're not capable of friendship at that age. You lack the maturity for true friendship. True friendship's hard. It's a sacrifice. You have to want the best for your mate and not be jealous. And you you have to let the mate go wherever life takes them, even if it takes them away from you. Their best mate. Well, most children, almost no children are prepared for that. They're not mature enough. Complete joke. Complete joke. So, this idea that kids have to go to school to get friends, absolute bullcrap. Not true. It's lies, lies, lies. And do you know what? It's the worst kind of lies because the inverse, the exact opposite is true. Completely disgraceful how you're gaslit as parents like that. It's disgusting. So, what do we need to give our children? We need to give our children proper adult role models, decent adults. And you might say, well, I'm working, my wife's working with a bit. Yeah, sure but there's lots of oldies. What about the crinklies? Oh, crinklies, put your canes down. Don't throw your zimmer frame at me yet. I love you crinkleys. You crinkleys know things. People my age are disgustingly arrogant because we think we're awake. And we're awakening, but we're not awake. And many of you crinklies already know stuff that we uh, we haven't even stumbled across yet. Your children need to spend time with old people. Responsible ones, obviously. But whether it's grandma or the lady down the street, it doesn't matter. If they're a responsible, decent, compassionate, crinkly, older adult, fantastic. Your kids need it. Psychological development. They need the oldies. They need time on their own. When children get, quote-unquote, bored, they actually are not bored, they have attachment issues. I'm not going to go into that too much now because there isn't time. But your children need to learn to be okay with solitude, being in nature, or just being alone. When I was young, I... Was from a very very poor family, as you heard earlier, and opportunities there were well. I'd like to say there were very few and far between, but they're not. If you're searching for them, there are, opportunities are everywhere. Here's one that I took: the local theatre, amateur dramatics, literally Amdram, The local theatre was quite poor. They couldn't afford they couldn't afford new nails. So whenever they, this sounds ridiculous, I know, but bear with me. It's going somewhere when a play was over an amateur play was over, they had to take the scenery down, but they couldn't afford to have new nails to knock up and to hold up and to pin up the new scenery for the next play. So they used to extract these nails and there's a huge pile of bent nails and they used to give me a brick and a hammer and a huge pile of bent nails. And I used to kneel there, crouch there, hammering these bent nails straight so they could be reused. That's how poor the theatre was that I used to go see. But that was me being part of the stage crew. And I was under the age of 13 when I started and under the age of 18 when I finished doing that job. I used to love being at the little theatre. I was in lots of plays. I was a precocious talent. But when I couldn't be in the play because the play was adult or there was no appropriate part for me, I'd be part of the stage crew two nights a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, in the evenings, half past seven till ten. I used to crouch down and I used to hammer these bent nails straight. And I actually thought, I was really proud of it. Sounds silly now, doesn't it? But I was really proud of that job and that they trusted me. And I had a few other little jobs as well. But basically, that was my main job. I was the nail straightener. And they could reuse their nails for the next show. But it's not really about straightening nails, is it? Hanging out with those. There was no children there. Hanging out with those adults. I learned so much, so much from them. So, so much. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyway, I'm going to return to where I pretty much began. What is normal in the sense of conforming to a norm is not necessarily the same as natural or healthy. How natural and healthy to go and seek out opportunities for other adults. Yeah, your kids learning real skills, even if it's just hammering bent nails straight. Oh, we have the straightest nails in the county. All right, maybe not we had really damn straight nails after I'd finished with them. I took the job seriously because adults were giving me responsibility. Grown men, real men, were giving me, a kid, an actual responsibility. And it's laughable now, yeah, but what I learned from straightening those nails, unbelievable, priceless, completely priceless. And I, I owe anything that I do well now, I owe to these kinds of experiences. Seek out these experiences for yourself, for your children. Yeah, these are invaluable learning experiences. You can't replace these. You can't manufacture them. You certainly can't learn them on a bloody computer game. All right. You can't learn this on a computer game. Shut up, you computer geeks. And don't think I'm being disrespectful. Computer geeks are absolutely fantastic. But you know what? It's not because they play computer games. They learned how to code. They learned real skills in the real world. Yeah. All right. Coding on a machine. But it actually creates things in the real world, that coding stuff, like my app, where you can learn proper mathematics, proper handwriting, et cetera, et cetera. <gasps> What's this? Are you selling an app? No, shut up. It's not for you. Go away. No, Gorilla Ed members only. I only want the right people. I'm not selling it. I'm not making it available to the general public. Sod off. I only want top quality parents, top quality grandparents, and top quality teachers, tutors, coaches who really genuinely want to help children. So, sod off. If you're actually interested in my online app where you can learn, I've got two and a half, nearly 3,000 videos on there now. ha! The only way to get in is to come to rescue your children on the 3rd, 4th, 5th of August. That's the 3rd, 4th, 5th of August at 8 p.m. If you're interested in that, that's how you get in. And we don't just take anybody. No malingerers required. Thank you very much. But in all seriousness, I hope you found some value in that. You've got to get your kids time with old people, the crinklies. You've got to get your kids opportunities in the community. Like, why aren't you the treasurer of the local archery club? I'm sure the local archery club's desperate for a bloody treasurer, or a child protection officer, or whatever they need. Why can't you volunteer? Why can't you volunteer at a local level? And you know what? If you're volunteering, there might be a job for your kid. It might be like refletching the arrows. So when the, when the feathers fall off the arrows, for want of a better word, the fletches, maybe your kid learns how to refletch arrows. Really, if you're an archer, if you're a part of an archery club, you love people that will re-fletch your arrows for them. You might even give them a couple of quid so that you would have to do it yourself. Because the best bit of archery is shooting the arrows, obviously. And the feathers, the fletchings, fall off frequently. Wonderful. Just, you've got to get outside your comfort zone and go and work in the real world, not the virtual world, in the real world, in your local community, to find a job for you. And you'll think, oh my God, I'm tired. I haven't got time for another job, Sarah. You're killing me. You have no idea how great you're going to feel. You're going to feel amazing because you're helping other people and you're doing it willingly, voluntarily, off your own back. And the opportunities for your son or daughter or both will open up enormously in ways you cannot possibly imagine. If you put it out there, if you give out, you'll get it back in spades. And then what more could you want for your children than a rounded, genuine upbringing? Skills, real world, real life skills, proper role models, adult, adult responsible Amazing role models. What more could you ask for, guys? It's all out there, ladies and gentlemen. It's all out there. It's all out there, just waiting for you. We've lost it. We've lost our way. We've got to rediscover it. I'm going for it, on. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm nearly doing. I'm nearly doing my rescue your children material. I better stop myself, or I will spoil the uh, spoil the surprise. Not at all. Not at all. Anyway, what's coming up for you next week? I'll just round off with this. So on Tuesday night, Tuesday the 25th of July, at 8 p.m. Protect your children from the trans cultists. Be there, be there, be there. You might think, my child's not interested in that. Might, yeah, until their dickhead mate becomes interested in it. Don't miss it. for good, Even if it's not relevant now, take some notes and keep the notes for when the poo-poo hits the fan-fan, right? I'll be there. You should be there too. That's a Tuesday, the 25th of July at 8 p.m. And the big one, the big one, might free. Yes, it's free. And no, I don't even ask for donations. It's free. I want you to be there. I want you to have this information. I want you to rescue your children and I want to help you. So 3rd, 4th, 5th of August, 3rd, 4th, 5th of August, 8pm, live via Zoom. I'll be there teaching my bits off, steady, teaching my bits off, ready to help you get your kids out of these beast systems. And even if you think it's unrealistic, I can't do it, I can't afford it, I can't, I perfect. you're perfect. You're absolutely perfect. Come and listen. Come and see what you can do, my beauties. Come and see what you can do so, so easily, so, so easily when you have somebody who's knowledgeable and hardworking and is in your corner fighting for you. And have courage and have faith, parents and grandparents. There are loads of people out there that want to help you. I have people in Gorilla Ed who don't have children or grandchildren. They're there because they're lecturers, professors, teachers, tutors, and they just want to help people like you for free in their own time. Yeah, they literally pay to be members of my Gorilla Ed clan and they do it because they believe in helping people like you. So have courage, have faith, and I cannot wait to see you on the 3rd, 4th and 5th of August at 8pm. But before then, do not miss Protect Your Kids from the Trans Cultists, Tuesday the 25th of July at 8pm. I cannot wait to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time this morning. As ever, your children can either be educated or they can be schooled. But these things are mutually exclusive. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit saraplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination.